Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In 1181, or possibly 1182, a child was born to Pietro de Bernadone and Pisha, his wife. This baby was baptized Giovanni, but because the father was doing so well in his cloth business, and because he was making so many trips to France, and he was making so much money, and he wanted to have the cachet of the French, he renamed his son from John to Francis. And that's our patron, Francis. Well, I've spoken about Francis's early life, but we all know that there was a time when Francis left the normal life of Assisi in his merchant class and all the fun and the parties, and he left all of that behind. And he took on the call of Jesus in a very profound and literal way. And as he did that, he eventually attracted followers, and it became, of course, a huge movement, and now a worldwide movement, and Francis is probably the most beloved saint in the entire world. So we know parts of that story. Francis helped us see again what was most important, most essential, what was most basic for our Christian life. He opened up the eyes of his own day and time, and he is helping us keep our eyes fixed on what is most important. One of the things that St. Francis did was he reminded us that we could experience God in all the things that we see every single day. That God could be seen in nature and in the way that the birds flew and the way that God took care of the birds and all of the beautiful things in nature that you see. And he encouraged them, the creatures of God, as well as those made in his image, to worship God, to give God the praise that God is due. So, St. Francis would say, every creature in heaven and on earth and in the depths of the sea should give praise and glory and honor to God. There is an anonymous Christian of the first century that had similar feelings that shared them in this way. This reminded me of St. Francis when I read this. We don't know who this first century Christian is. But this Christian said, God is presence, warm, all-enfolding, touching the drab world into brilliance, lifting the sad heart into song, indescribable beyond understanding, yet by a bird's note, a chord of music, a light at sunset, a sudden movement of rapt insight, a touch of love, the whole universe, a safe home for the soul. That just sounds like St. Francis to me. So today we're going to concentrate on worship. St. Francis was someone that encouraged the worship. In fact, he was in a little church praying 
and the cross, the cross of San Damiano, which we have right over there, it's one of our processional crosses, he heard three times the Lord Jesus say through this cross that Francis was to repair his house that was falling into ruins. And he went about literally preparing and rebuilding churches for worship. So let's talk about worship today, an important, important part of our life together. The first point is, is that worship is offering. Worship is offering. There's a really great book by Sam Todd that some of you uh, know about. It's an introduction to the Christianity for third millennium thinkers. And he reminds us about worship. Now hold on to your seats. He reminds us that to ancient Jews and ancient Christians, worshiping God did not mean receiving something from God, but in fact meant giving something to God. Let me repeat that. To ancient Jews and Christians, worshiping God didn't mean receiving something from him, but it meant giving something to God. Now, that blew my mind when I read that, because we live in an entertainment culture. And when you live in an entertainment culture, you're like the frog in the pot of water. You don't realize what's happening. But in the last 50 years, everything has changed, and it's all about me. And so worship is about me. Worship is about what I'm going to receive. Worship is about my list of whether the preacher is doing a good enough job, whether the music is keeping up, whether the service is done right. We can become a Rex Reed of worship, a critic. But this aspect of worship being about us rather than God, I think he's really on to something. He says, so the first thing to get straight is the nature and proper motive for worship. A worship service is service to God, not us. So ancient Jews, ancient Christians would never come to worship thinking they were going to get something. They were going to give something because God was due that offering and that worship. And those resources, the time and the talent, the treasure, all of ourselves. And so it was outgoing, not incoming. And that just blew my mind when I thought about that. But it's absolutely true because all through the scriptures, there's an altar and there's a sacrifice. And you bring things to the altar and the sacrifice in order for worship to even happen. Whatever else is happening might be study or appreciation or something else, but for worship to happen, there is an offering, people giving to God. Well, worship is something directed to God because God is worth all of our adoration, all of our praise. God is, in fact, everything. So when we fulfill the command of God to worship him... We are, in fact, fulfilling ourselves because as we direct ourselves to God in an offering of resources or time, attention, all of those things, 
we are coming closer to God, and as we come closer to God, we are filled in a deeper way with God's life. And since God is the perfect life and light and love and beauty and wisdom and righteousness and everything good, the closer we get, the more the dynamic becomes that we absorb that and we fulfill who we're supposed to be as the image of God. And so we don't have to worship God in order to make God feel better. We are not adding anything to our holy God by our worship. We should get that really straight because God is perfect if no one ever worshiped him ever. So worship is for us. It's really not even for God. So worship blesses us, but it has to be directed at God for it to be true worship and for us to receive that benefit, not just to us. Now, the truth is, we do receive a benefit from worshiping, but that's secondary. And so this worship that takes place takes place within the body of Christ. So worship is an offering, and second, worship takes place corporately within the body of Christ. And the body of Christ exists in heaven right now and on earth throughout all time. And we have a vision in Isaiah of this holy worship of God where the seraphim are saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. And we, as we gather together as the church, as the body of Christ, enter into that worship that goes on and on and on because God is certainly due that worship. So we are a part of a grand worshiping community in heaven and on earth. And then third, worship is participatory. It's participatory. You all have taken the time to get dressed. Most of us have had showers this morning. That's a good thing. Uh, or, or, you know, we have, we have clothes on. We've gotten here. But we're not coming to the symphony. We're not going to the Astros game. We're not going to the club. We are here to worship. And that's why we have to pay attention. That's why we have to listen. That's why we have to say the amens. And we do the responses, and we sing, and you all do a marvelous job at that. We're still kind of training the nine o'clockers a little bit, uh, but they're getting there. You should have heard the amen after the great Thanksgiving. It was really good today because I mentioned the amen. But we are up and down and all around because worship is participatory. We are involved in it and engaged in it. This is not a spectator sport. So Sam Todd, just to quote him again, corporate worship is the body of Christ in all times and in all places, praising the Father. It is meant to be a full body exercise in which all the members participate. I should never go to worship as a passive spectator to be entertained by the choir or the preacher's performance. Insofar as worship is a performance... You and I are the performers, and God is the audience. Is this blowing your mind? You and I are the performers, and God 
is the audience. I wonder what God would rate our worship as. If we are the worship performers, I wonder what sort of scorecard we would get from God. We'll never know, but it is a real good twist on the way that we think in an entertainment culture. He says, I make a mistake if I worship with the intention of getting something out of it, but that does not mean that I will not get anything out of it. God offers us his grace even as we offer him our praise. So we are blessed, of course, in our worship. It's really for us, but it is the worship of God and not ourselves. In accordance with all of these things, the fact that worship is an offering, that worship is a corporate act within the body of Christ, and worship is participatory, on November the 4th, we are going back to an older tradition at St. Francis, and that's on Commitment Sunday, which is November 4th, we will have a basket up here by the altar, and people will be called to get up out of their seats as an act of worship, And as an act of worship, to lay down their commitment card or a card that says that you've already made your commitment and to place it in the basket at the time of the offering. But of course, we're doing this to symbolize the truth of what worship is, an offering from us to God. And so I hope and pray that everyone that is there on the 4th will be getting up and coming to make their offering because that is your act of worship. Now, if you're a visitor, uh, we might inspire a few people to come up, but visitors would not be expected to do that. But I just want to let you know that that is, in fact, what is happening uh, on August, uh, pardon me, November the 4th. There is a Presbyterian, a Scottish catechism that says that man's chief end, humankind's chief end, is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. And that's still really, really good. That's old, but it's still really, really good. The chief end of our lives is to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. C.S. Lewis says, but we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And we can come to fully enjoy God. Well, Francis had a particular calling that I don't think everyone is called to. Francis believed in, of course, following the Lord Jesus Christ, but he took on something called lady poverty. Lady poverty. Francis let go of all his worldly possessions. In fact, he took off his clothes when he made this final break with the world and the way that the world normally works, and he never owned anything again. He never handled any money, although he directed much funds into the work of God in his own life, even though he himself believed and took on lady poverty. But it had me thinking, what are we called to? If St. Francis was called to follow Jesus in a deep and a profound way, 
How can we follow Jesus and follow Francis? Which ways are we being called? Well, the first is obvious. We're called to worship. St. Francis, is in his own day, opened up the minds and hearts of people to the worship of God in creation, but also the corporate worship in God's church. So the first thing that we're called to is worship. The second is to seek God's will above everything else. One of his brothers asked St. Francis about a matter that was not really that significant, but they asked his response, and St. Francis says that it has always been and still is his most dear and sweet and acceptable pleasure to have God's will done in him and with him no matter what it is. So St. Francis and we are called to make God's will the top priority in our life. Above all else, seeking, praying, letting go of our outcomes. Now that's hard. St. Francis let go of everything. We are called to let go of our outcomes even as we work toward the outcome of every situation that we think is good and right and true. But ultimately, we say, thy will be done. And we can be satisfied with it, because if we love God, if we worship God, we're trusting that God, even though the outcome may not be what we want, has our best interest in mind. And the third thing, the third calling that we have would be to use money wisely. To use money wisely. To utilize our resources, whether they're large or small, to do God's mission in the world. To make sure that his love and word are spread to people who desperately need it. To make sure that resources flow to those who are in need because that is of ultimate importance as well. So worship, seeking God's will first, and using and utilizing our money and resources wisely for God's kingdom, and we would be following St. Francis and Jesus himself. St. Francis died at age 46. 46 amazing what he accomplished in that short lifetime and I'm sure the contemporaries of St. Francis would have no idea that we would be speaking about him and the influence that he has had on the entire history of the world to this very day in his own day who knows what they thought of him but 46 years he died in 1226 and someone has written this about St. Francis And I'm ending with this. Francis's simple but radical message took shape at a time when everyone could see that the church was woefully off track. And Thomas of Celano put it this way, when the teachings of the gospel, not indeed in every respect, but taken generally, had everywhere failed to be put into practice, this man, Francis, was sent by God to bear witness to the truth throughout the whole world. So may we worship God as an offering 
May we make God's will our highest priority, and may we utilize our resources widely for God's kingdom in this world. Amen.